This is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen this movie and you do not want it spoiled for you, this is the time to turn it off. Beyond here, we are not responsible for your actions. And also... Second warning, we are not experts. We do not hold ourselves out to be experts, and these are our opinions. Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... This is all the sports on screen with the Well Actually Sporting Club. Here's your hosts, Maria and Saski. Cheers. Cheers. We survived almost an entire festive season. We are recording this the day before New Year's. And you will probably see it in the New Year because launching anything on New Year's Eve or day is probably a bad idea in the world of getting people to actually listen to things you have done. Perhaps, but if they're drunk and they listen to it, maybe they'll get even better. Who knows? Yes, Who yes. Knows? I'm working on the idea that if they're drunk, maybe I can get one of my parents to listen to it. My my dad lasted 10 minutes of the first one. was, I love you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you points for just trying here because that's really what it's about. My mom said she forgot I had a podcast and hadn't listened to further episodes. And so I... I'm working on it for the next one. I have to remember to at least send them to them. Though that would be helpful. I'm not sure a podcast on racism and so forth in Israeli football is quite my mum's wheelhouse. No, but maybe if we have a cricket episode eventually or something or rugby or... Yeah. Well, honestly, I think she's actually really going to like today's episode, today's topic. That's we're, true. We're talking about the movie, uh, the documentary Maiden today. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it was really funny. Like, my mum is a New Zealander. New Zealanders love themselves some boats. So what happens when you're surrounded by water, you're a small island, they love themselves some boats. They love sailing practically nothing else. They're still thrilled about winning the America's Cup, though so is Australia at that point, and it was a good 30 years ago. So are Australians less thrilled about boats? Australians have other things to be thrilled about. I see. New Zealand has boats and the All Blacks, which, to be fair, are two very good things. They also have Lord of the Rings. Yes, but we're talking about sports here. Fine. We're also talking about film. Okay, yes, but I'm talking about (laughs) sports. My uncle was a sailor. My grandfather, uh, my mum's dad, was a sailor. It was a family thing. My mum loves being out on the water. My dad loves being out on the water. I get seasick, so the concept of it, just the execution sometimes gives me a little bit of a problem. I grew up in a landlocked country. Paraguay doesn't really have the ocean. I did go on boats, but in a river, and it was usually that I was swimming and not in a boat. So I Try not to get eaten by things. I think my first experience in a boat was probably here in Canada, and it was probably a canoe, and I'm pretty sure my father tried to tip me out of it. But when we watched this, when we were reading the preview of this, when you showed it to me in the TIFF book that came out in, mm-hmm. would have been 2018 we saw this at yep. the film festival. Yep. This is another one of the ones where we sound obnoxious tweets, because we're like, <laughs> so we saw this at the TIFF film festival, but the reality is we've got to see a lot of these and been exposed for that very reason, mm-hmm. as we've touched on. But this is about, at the time, what's called the Whitbread Round the World, Race. Yes. And I texted my mum today to say that we were recording this episode, and all I said is, was, it's about Whitbread. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. She knew what I meant, even though it hasn't been called that for decades. It was the Volvo Ocean Race up until, I think it's last iteration, where it's now just the, the ocean, ocean Race. race. Yeah. But, yes, the gist of it is, my family loves sailing and boats, <laughs> and so I'm actually really excited to be like, hey mum... It's a good first episode for her to start. So it's, we've reached the end of the year. We've reached the end of another sporting year. We're not obviously a a podcast about current sports, but we have seen lately that in sporting news, everyone still has COVID and a few new people have, the EPL have joined the party. Yep, the EPL have joined the party. World Juniors had a lot of cases. They're still it's still happening. happening. Um, the NHL is apparently coming yeah. back on the 13th of January. Pretty sure Joe Thornton spent Christmas just down the road from us, where <laughs> we are. With, yeah, Joe uh, Thornton and half of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. But to put you briefly on the spot, 2020, I nearly went 2012 and I was like, that's not what mm-hmm. you're at. 2020, what, what was the thing 
that you most remember from sport about 2020? Because I know what mine is. I think just in terms of, so March 11th and 12th really stands out to me only because I was at Detroit in a concert, which turned out to be, I was not in a concert, I was at a concert, I should say. <laughs> Let's be clear. Secret position here. Um, and that was the last day before COVID really, uh, we were at the concert actually, and my friend got a text saying that the NBA season had been canceled mm. that night. And I think that that was the time they were just really recalling it kind of thing, because yeah. I think a couple people had it by that point, and then you had, I forget who it was, spitting on people yeah. oh, as yeah, a that's joke right. and all that and stuff. Then, yeah. So that was a night that it really stood out to me as being, oh man, this is, this is for real. It's here now, yeah. and it's for real. And what we, the, the Euros went, well, the Olympics went, mm-hmm. it just became so much bigger than we could ever have imagined. And then you see the different Bundesliga teams trying to figure out what they were doing and all of that stuff. If you want to see something, documentary inside series, you don't have to speak German. It does have subtitles, which is great because I have no idea what's being said. But FC Köln is mm-hmm. a Bundesliga team and they have a incredible behind the scenes uh documentary series and there was a couple of episodes that go through them what happened during the pandemic for them and then what kind of processes they went through to figure out how to come back what the procedures look what happened to players who were who did end up with COVID all of that and it's fascinating in a kind of morbid way because you don't want to have to be but it's very interesting to see how that is done. It's brilliantly created, too, as a documentary yeah. series, particularly for something that's just from a sports team. It's 24-7 quality. It's so good. I was going to say, for any hockey fans that are familiar with 24-7 that yep. was leading up to the Winter Classics and yep. all of that the first time, easy way to remember it. I think 2020 stands out for, for two things to me. It stands out to exactly what you said. Sports doesn't look anything we've ever known this year. But I think that's more of a, a broad banner. There's so many events that led into that. For me, if you what is the one thing you remember, it will be watching Romain Grosjean hit a wall. And that's that. not necessarily a great thing, but the feeling of seeing that and then what happened next and the coming out, okay, and that whole thing was one of those sports memories where you are, I know exactly where I was sitting, what I was wearing, what I said to you, all of that. I remember all of that because it was such a stamped kind of moment that hopefully I never have to see again. <laughs> we, we prefer that. You've seen the replay a million times. Oh, I've already, seen the replay so, so many. I've seen the replay <laughs> with his commentary to it, which is a lot too. It was one of those years, I think every year we have landmarks and different things in sport that change how things are. But this year is, I think, in sport because it's the world. It's here's the line, everything's changed. Mm-hmm. You know, we're hoping that 2021 brings, obviously the hope that we have for it right now, though. But hoping that we get Euros next year, hoping that we get the Olympics. Hoping I would be happy to go to an IndyCar race or NASCAR race. I'd like to go to (laughs) pretty much anything at this point. I will even go to a Toronto Maple Leafs game at this point. It depends if I had to pay for the tickets or not. I was, I don't... Yes, yeah, you only went because I gave you (laughs) tickets. That was how it worked. So... To loop ourselves into the point here, because we could get distracted talking about sport forever. We've actually set a timer this time. Yeah, and we're going to be really bad with it. But we're talking about the documentary Maiden, and it is the owner of the best (laughs) rating note I have ever seen on IMDb. It reads, Maiden, rated PG for sexism and ocean peril. That is the most badass line I have ever seen on IMDb. I don't know if I've ever seen that before or read that on any other. I'm sure some form of that exists on other documentaries, but I've never Yeah, some, seen that. one of those adrift or the ones where there's the giant waves, maybe. I don't know. I saw it and was like, wow, that is what that says. <laughs> Give us a rundown on Made It, because obviously we've both seen it and, and we do know the story, but mm-hmm. our listeners... Probably don't. So it came out in 2018, and it's basically the story of Tracy Edwards, who at the time this took place was a 24-year-old cook, or it took place around... I think she started at 24, and then when she hit the water, she's about 27. And then she... So she started as a 24-year-old cook on charter boats who became the skipper of the first ever all-female crew to enter the Whitbread Round the World race in 1989, which I believe was the fifth time. I think it was the fifth time they did it. I was looking at this in 1989. I'm like, okay, I'm a month old, two months old in this. Okay, so you're trying to think... 
this is just at the start of my lifespan, but my parents are my age, and this is still what the world looks at this point. Do you, so I guess, what is the Whitbread race so around the world? The Whitbread race around the world, or around the world race, is essentially, basically, it goes for almost a year. It's about nine, nine to ten months, and a group of boats in this year, there was about 24 entries. I think the latest one had about seven because sailing at this level is an incredibly expensive exercise. These are million-dollar boats and the operations for them are five, six million dollars a race and a, a thing. And so they are very elite and often people go for the America's Cup or things like that. They're a little bit different. But basically, this is the pinnacle of long-distance, round-the-world sailing. And so they go from port to port, nine to ten legs, and they go all the way around the world. And that's about 45 million nautical miles, which is more than a normal mile. (laughs) So it's a mile, and then they made it complicated and took it a bit further. And so... At this point, these groups were the first all-female team. There had been a few women occasionally here and there, but we're talking, I can count them on my fingers through five itinerations. I feel she said when she went the first time as a cook on the boat, finally, that there was four women, and she was one of them. But obviously not in any sort of... Like actual sailor, really, capacity. Yeah, or, or, or as like a, 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 a larger group of them. There was, I think there was one who was actually a skipper because it was a little, people, oh, it's less physical. Okay. But <laughs> is uh, it though? Is it? <laughs> nowadays, there's been several all female boats between now and then. No one, I don't, uh, I want to say I don't think anyone has won their, their competition. Um, One of the girls who was in this crew came back the next year and skip it, uh, the next itineration and skip it a boat. Nowadays, they have changed the rules a little bit so that it is disadvantageous for you to have a boat of entirely men. If you have entirely men, you can only have seven people on your boat. If your boat's entirely women, you can have ten. There is systems of, if you have six men, you can have two women. And so they balance it out that way. And they also have elements in it too that require you to have a certain number of sailors under a certain age. This is how they're trying to work out some of these differentials. But this documentary Mm -hmm. is filmed uh, or I guess, put together by um, Alex Holmes. Mm -hmm. So he first heard Tracy Edwards speak at his daughter's school and found the story really compelling, I guess, just from... Because it's compelling. Just from her childhood growing up all the way through this race and everything, because she's not what you would call the typical golden girl or... She's not what you picture when you think. Exactly. She's just a pretty regular... Regular person, nothing... And she's super, tiny. She's super tiny. So Alex Holmes has made some documentaries. Sorry, I just keep chuckling at this one because it touches on another subject that Sasuke loves, and it's cycling, and he made the Stop at Nothing, the Lance Armstrong documentary. Which is basically two hours of me just being super mad, even though I came to cycling after Lance Armstrong. I'm just, I was just super mad. So he made the Lance Armstrong documentary. He yeah. made uh, a Le Mans series. Mm-hmm. He made the Dunkirk documentary that doesn't have Harry Styles in Not it. the Christopher so Nolan one. I was like, I got really excited for a second. I was like, I'm sure this guy didn't make that movie. And was like, nope, you're correct. And then another miniseries, I guess that's pretty widely acclaimed, called House of Saddam. This is, I love this film because you and I both know, and, and I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, how women are perceived in society and often particularly in the realm of sport. And this movie really crystallizes that that idea or that position in, in, in itself. There's so many different scenes that we'll touch on with the bathing suits and the leg shaving and things like that. There's a great line with the leg shaving where they joke it that it's more chainsawing and carving. And I was I feel that deeply. <laughs> I feel that so deeply. Also how the media plays into it. Because oh. it's not only how the competitors view them. It's about how the media also portrays them and views them as... And the media are almost the worst culprits in this. Yeah, and just as being a joke, essentially, like the little girls or whatever, that type of thing. I was about to say, if someone is, if if you haven't seen Maiden and you're trying to get a picture of Tracy Edwards, if you're trying to get a picture of current day Tracy Edwards, Mm -hmm. just imagine Dame Judi Dench. And that's it. That's basically exactly it. If they needed someone to pretend to be her, that is who would play her right now. She's very petite. Yeah. Very petite. And you wouldn't picture her. But she's. She has a presence. Fierce. Yeah. She's a badass. And she was that. We were lucky that when we saw it at the end of the thing, snub, I know. <laughs> Every time I try to tell someone, I was, oh God, I hate us. She, but I don't hate us because these are 
fascinating to get to hear them. He, Alex Holmes got up and she got up with him. She had flown in. They had launched the Maiden Project boat the day before. She'd flown straight in. She was jet-lagged and she was thrilled. And yeah. she was just such a captivating person after having seen that documentary previously. She, I said, she had really great presence about her. And I think, again, that's one of the things that's really interesting about having a documentary made about yourself or being involved in making one about yourself and then being able to see it presented to audiences. And take it for what it's worth. And then share your story with them to people who may never have heard of you otherwise or who may not know what the Whitbread around the world is. I knew Whitbread, didn't know who she was, didn't know her story. And that's a travesty that, that people don't, I think. And this documentary itself actually really captivated a lot of audiences. It got a lot more attention than I think they thought. It was very much a little feminist documentary that could during that kind of cycle of things. And the thing is, I think with this one, though, too, is that it didn't... I don't think he meant it to be a feminist documentary. No, but the story is... just interested in the story and how it comes out, though, because that is what the subject matter is. A team of women... It is inherently in itself a feminist narrative. Yes. Whether he meant it to be or not, it just is what it is. Yeah, you can't Um, tell this story without it being that. For someone who didn't know a lot about sailing or about this race in particular, I did find that while they didn't explain everything super well... It was accessible. It was accessible, and even with the the found footage of the news stuff explaining what the race was, and they're like, okay, 10 days and blah, 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 or whatever, it was accessible enough for someone who doesn't have a background knowledge of that to understand it. You mentioned found footage. Let's talk about the actual construction of this documentary. The filmography Mm -hmm. in it is ridiculous in the sense that there is very little shot now footage. All of Mm -hmm. this footage was shot when the race happened, it's not reconstructions, it's the actual footage from the actual race because somehow their boat ha- was the only boat and the first boat, because it hadn't been in previous itinerations, that had cameras stationed on the boat permanently and set at least one crew member who had been trained to operate a camera by the BBC. It's very interesting to think, and I remember sitting the first time I was sitting through the film thinking about how great some of the footage was and the shots, and then being, wow, this is so great. And what year was it? 1989. And then I was like, wait, Maria, they didn't just shoot all of this now. Like, they and the person, had to go find it and then put it all together. And anything that wasn't stationary, the person shooting that is not a trained video person or cinematographer. They just had an incredibly natural eye. I think it was the I think it was the lady that was, was the cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she was. I don't have other things necessarily. Yeah. Um, and she had such a great eye for it. Some of the imagery is just spellbind. It's very interesting, especially when you horrifying consider, spellbinding. Yes, when you consider today that you could have a drone fly alongside or yeah. whatever the case yeah. may be to capture some of those other angles and different things that, but there obviously was not that option available to them in 1989, so they had... It it had such a feel to it in that, because it was being shot by someone who was part of it. It had that kind of, I guess, the... It took them two years to scrape together all this footage from the BBC, all the different places that they could find it, two years, and then they had to edit it together. Inter-spliced in with the talking heads and stuff like that. A narrative. And all I think is that you would have lost the camera overboard multiple Oh, times. oh, yeah. No, no <laughs> one would have, like, anyway. everyone would have, they would have had to lat- leash the camera to me and then <laughs> leash me to the boat, basically. I think there was an interesting point in one of the articles about this was that these ladies weren't the first crew. Mm-hmm. These women weren't the first crew that they approached about putting the cameras up. And all of the men's crews were, we're serious, no way, we're not having this. And and these guys, well, these women, we've come through three or four years of just this whole process of getting here, and that where there already was footage that existed. Yeah, and that, I guess they wanted to see the battle. Yeah. They wanted someone to see the the evidence of the work that yeah. they had done and they're doing. And because they backed themselves, they weren't thinking they were only going to be out there for ten days or anything. They're thinking they're doing it here, and so it's such a it's such a um the footage is great, but the editing is really what sets 
it apart in this. Obviously, the director has done a great job, but the editing, the, the lady who edited it, her name was, I think, uh, Katie Breyer, I think it was. And she, I think they've done an incredible job of telling almost the dual narratives of both Tracy's life as mm-hmm. a story and then how that intertwines to the actual race itself as a story. Because they're also both very connected, obviously. 100%. So you can't really have the story of what they did without her. So... Basically, this is a documentary about being a woman. This documentary is about what it means to be a woman, what you're told you can be, what you're allowed to be, what people believe you can be. It's all of those kind of narratives and that way that, in this instance, sailing puts that on people and how these women have said, led by Tracy Edwards in this, hold up, mate. Like, we're not here for that. Yeah. We're going to race we're going to race a boat because we're sick of being the cooks in your kitchens. We're not interested in that. And I think the way that she did it too was a very calm and determined way. Similar yes. to and as I was watching this, I was similar to the Billie Jean King approach where it was 100%. Just very, okay, she stood her ground essentially and was I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna figure it out. There's a great there's a great line from one of her interviews uh around this film coming out that was she'd love to say she was standing up and fighting for women mm-hmm. they ended up there doing that but really it was i just thought i want to sail around the, I, I want to sail around the world as a sailor so not as a cook and to do that i have to put an all, all female crew t- together so she just did yeah. because she wanted to she was here she wanted to be there and she did and i think what it makes me think of when you, you link back to billy jean king there is that how much change is driven anywhere in the world, but in this instance in women's sport, by a single-minded person who just is like, okay, this is going to be different. I'm sure there may be other people that have tried and failed in this, but the, the change is very much that one person who has grabbed it and moved the bar further. And it's, I think in this film specifically, she said, I'd love to say I stood up for women and fought the fight, which she did end up realizing that she did that anyway, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't her initial. It was a long journey to get to that. That wasn't her initial, I'm going to change the world of sailing forever and then it's going to be great after this. It was just like, like, I just want to sail a boat around the world. I want to do this because I know that I can do it and I know that we can do it and let's do it. (laughs) So let's talk about the kind of garden variety misogyny that sailing in in 1989, she basically decided she didn't want part of it in the sense that she had been a cook on the previous itineration and the moment she came back from that or or wherever they ended, I'm not sure if she went all the way around. I feel like she may not have. She was, I'm done with this. I'm not saying that's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm interested in. And there was also a lot of footage from that, her during that time when she was the cook and just her talking about the awful things that the male sailors did and said and the way that she was treated and just was I'm not here for this this is I'm not signing up for this I'm out I forget what they wrote on her underwear at the one point something for sale oh yeah for sale one case of beer or something yeah. like that it just and there was footage Which of one that, said that as I was well. like, oh gosh. <laughs> there was footage of her with them as well, like a couple of different shots where she I looked think super uncomfortable. She looked very uncomfortable, but it was a lighter moment, I think. Yeah. So it also then makes you think of what the not light moments were. And also the fact that I think the film at one point mentioned she wasn't even allowed up on deck ever. Yeah. Which could be partially for safety reasons, but mostly. You're not putting just someone like, on a boat that doesn't like, know how to stay down there. It's and, and and we know, obviously, that it is the sailors because we see them talking about how they wouldn't let her on boats or they wouldn't select her for cruise or all of these things. But there was a couple of, I guess, yachting writers, which is a thing back then, maybe it is now, but because there's still a yachting journalists association, I've learned. Yes, they're the people that pick the British Yachtsman of the Year, which is a trophy awarded to both men and women, but it's still called a yachtsman. Which I'm sure is a thing, but okay. There is a is a British yachting writer who writes for the Guardian at the time, Bob Fisher, and he called the crew. He's in the movie, by the way. He's in the movie. Yes, he called them a tin full of tarts. Now, when I first heard them say this, I was like, "That's a very clever alliteration. That's very funny, mm-hmm. but that's not funny because that's egregiously misogynistic." But the part is, they talked to him 
about this or they mention it and he's proud of it. 30 years later, he is unrepentant and proud and thinks it's hilarious. And you're just, of course you do, because no one tells you that it was, your behavior was bad at the time because they didn't think it was. And you've just stuck to your guns. His behavior was acceptable at the time. And there was, I forget the other guy's name, who was the other journalist who didn't, he wasn't as bad. No. But it was still between... They weren't great. No, but it's still between the two of them. It was... That's just how it was because... And that's we how had it was. every right to say that kind of thing. And they were still a little bit smirky about it. And he pl- totally played the card of Bob Fisher called... The this guy did it worse than me. And you're like, that's really not <laughs> a good argument. And I was... That's not... Like, you... You still... This guy, this guy lowered the bar further than I did. No, no. Something... Something that I did find interesting that one of them said... And I can't recall which one of them did was they had this line where they were they were talking about what they had succeeded and what they had done and it was I think it was towards the end after they maybe had come back to Southampton where they originated from and he says they were heroines um or heroes because by that time they were regarded as men so they were afforded the her. They were people now, yay. They were like, oh, respect you, and we give you this praise because we view you as male sailors in that you've earned the right to be respected as men. Mm-hmm. And I, the first time I heard that, it was like being smacked in the face. They've done all of this stuff. They've done this epic thing. They've proven all of this, and this guy is like... Anyway. This is about them being uh, respected as men. This race itself highlights or, or reveals so much about the kind of idea of the institutional powers that yeah. govern how we view these things and that kind of stuff. And that maybe we change these things or they did this, but the larger narrative is really that, no, this is a very long journey. And very this is a journey. pushing, but not quite, you know. And I think we were talking about this earlier, is it's very long journey against not only their competitors, but the media and pretty much, I'm oh, sure, so bad. any dude on the street that they happened to pass well, by. And like, she, she said in part of it that Maiden was always met by a couple of emotions. And a lot of the time it was anger. And the better they did, the more angry people were. But the people who were the angriest were men who didn't even sail. You know, who were just angry about what they represented. And and they said these things, or they talked about this in... They got asked so many dumb questions. In every interview that you see a, a clip from, obviously they picked... They've cherry-picked them, yeah. but they still had to be asked for them to cherry-pick them from. Mm-hmm. So what they're getting asked is so just setting them up for the disrespect and setting them up to have people feel about them in a certain way and just asking them, should they don't ask the guys, what's up with so many women together? How is it with 10 dudes on a boat? When they were talking about the cattiness and do you all get along, I was, do 10 dudes on a boat all get along? I can't imagine that they would and because it's not guys don't have their own drama. Oh, so why would you drama? Why would you just assume that it's only happening on the women's boat? So I, I did yeah. though that um, the the women on the boat were really cognizant of this is what was happening. They didn't have any illusions about how the media was talking about them or why they were being asked question these questions or how to. They knew how they had to respond to it to play the game, but they very even if they didn't necessarily define what they were doing as feminism because. And they were really aware of it. And so they handled it, you know, incredibly well and passing it off here and there without ever making the the journey or the boat itself or what they were trying to do seem lesser than it was. And I think for it, the media to ask those questions, like, I know, I think it was at one point in the film, it might have been after they got to Montevideo or Punta del Este, and it was... This is my face <laughs> of, like, of course, listen to you say them because you speak um, Spanish. Punta del Este was how it was always focusing on them as a human interest story yeah, it was instead never... of them being competing as athletes, and which still happens to this day. Oh, it's the only narrative we can tell yeah, about any who is a white man. sports and people of color, marginalized, different things. And I'm, it's frustrating, too, which is also what frustrates me about, as I've said many times, the film industry w- making... Not this movie specifically, because it is a documentary, but other movies where it's always the human interest story of this team. And I'm like, can't they just be athletes? It was with Maiden. It was if they did something good, 
and won the leg, then it was just luck. Like, they got lucky. They were but never, then if they, they, were if they made a mistake, it was, oh, they're just not as good, and because their tactics are... Because they're girls. That was something that I noticed in it, that they never referred to them as women. They were... The, the, the male sailors times, were... But... They were never really by yachting journalists or themselves. It was very someone who was a broadcaster, a news broadcaster almost, I think. But it was they were very rarely addressed as women. They were always talked about as the girls did this or the girls or that was the male sailors were always men. They weren't boys. They weren't men. So we have men versus girls here. We're setting up this narrative. We're, de- we're being, oh, over there. And, and and it's funny because they refer to themselves as that. And, and you're like, okay, are you referring to yourselves as that because that's what you use or are you referring to that because that's how everyone else talks about you? Something about this, though, is that these women did not do this easy. It was never going to be easy for them. No, and just the concept of the race itself, because it's only, what, every five years? Uh, I think it's three to four, maybe. I mean, it, you, she was on the race once as a cook. Yeah. And then you know that you basically, if you're going to want to do this, that you have three or four or five or however many years it is struggle ahead of you to figure out all of the logistics and, to get to where you want to go. And something could happen on the first day and it's yeah, over. Exactly. Nothing says you're even going to get this far. They were it's, yeah, it's taking like bets of how far they get. The Olympics and then you get there and you spray yeah. your ankle walking on, yeah. down the stairs or on a flat surface as some people do. <laughs> yes, I've done that. That's why she's saying that. <laughs> Um, because she's seen it happen. These, most of these boats were incredibly expensive, brand new, built by yacht companies, all of that. These girls, these women, I said it and I was, that's how they talk about it. And I've just used that. These women didn't have that money. They tried to get that money. They tried to build it a science. They didn't have it. So they bought a secondhand boat Mm -hmm. and they rebuilt it themselves from scratch over the period of of a year to two years. And there was footage of that in the film, too, which is interesting because, for me, I don't know anything about boats, really. Oh, yeah, they're fiberglassing it. They're, like... Sanding and all of that stuff. It was interesting to see that aspect of it, too. And And many of them didn't know anything about it. They'd never done these skills. They just weren't them to do it. At the same time, while she's doing that, she's also looking to put together a crew that can help her put together this boat kind of thing and looking for sponsors so that they actually have money She's doing to everything. To- There's a good line in it where one of the women who's on the crew is, I need to be more useful than this. I learned to be a plumber because I'm a doctor, so I figured I'd be okay with b- bodily fluids. And you're just, okay, cool. The, <laughs> the repurposing of skill sets here. I mean, I guess it's somewhat related. So the crux of this in the sense of, not the story itself, but how close this came to not happening is that she got the money to make this happen. She had mortgaged her house. They had nothing left. They were this close to not making it to the water in the months beforehand. And she knew the King of Jordan because she had made friends with him on a charter. She had been a stewardess on in mm-hmm. previous years and she had seen him at the Southampton both show and she... Basically, was we're trying to do this thing, and he went, okay, the Royal Jordanian Airlines will sponsor you, no problem, done. Because he was, nope, this is a good a good thing uh, to do. This is a good project. And there's actually an interesting story where she says she met someone at his funeral who was a lady, and he had funded her to be the first woman, woman to jump from a hot air balloon at the edge of essentially space. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's this guy's thing. He's just let me find some insane women and help them do a good story. Yeah, I was like, wow. But they're basically were this close. And that's the epitome of so many of these stories, how many little bits just have to fit together in the right point to get where they, they want to go. And the whole idea, again, of you need to get from point A to point B. You don't know how you're going to do it. You have to do it because it's either that or... This is your only option. There's no plan B here. The plan B for them was to to give up, and none of them wanted that. So there is a part Mm -hmm. in this, right, uh, towards the start, which is one of those moments where you go, oh, no. I think you did that. Oh, I definitely did that. Probably out loud in the theater because you're very... I'm that person. They're talking to her, and they ask her. She's 26, 27, standing on the side of the the deck being interviewed, and they ask her, oh, you're a feminist, yada, yada. She's like, no, I'm not a feminist. Like, I don't being associated with that term. And she's just, oh, dear, no. 
But by the end of the documentary, she's I am a fit. Like, even the end she of that race. Like, yeah, I guess I am. I, this is, that is exactly what I am. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. So here we are. There was a, there was a, my, my favorite line, and I had pulled this as a quote for us for something, that was, they found it hard to be taken seriously. And so here she is. She's halfway around the world in this. And she thought, I am a bloody feminist. And I'm a big fat one. And I can't believe I thought I wasn't. <laughs> The kind of idea, and we just get talked about often, the idea of what that means gets co-opted, gets changed, gets distorted, doesn't necessarily get represented in the right way. And this kind of journey around the world and back gave her that space to be like, oh no, actually, this is exactly what I stand for. And so do all of these women. And just being co-opted is... There's examples on Twitter of it every day where people are just, she's an angry feminist screaming because someone has dared to have an opinion about whatever sport it may be. Like in this, it's been turned into such a terrible word when you're, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It's, and you can separate someone's opinions and someone's attitude and someone's delivery from the actual concept itself. And so for this one, the way she phrased it was just, I didn't. I to be told it. that I couldn't yep. do something yep. when I knew I could do it. And I think that's pretty much, it's, again, similar to Billie yeah. Jean King. She never said, I'm better than the guys. No. She was just, I know I can she do just this. Said, I can do can this. you please yeah. respect me? I And I think it's very interesting seeing her go on that journey of understanding that's what, actually what that means. That's all that argument is. And uh, aligning herself with that. She does talk about, or mentions in this, and she talks about now, because nowadays she does a lot of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And so she does speak to a lot of girls' schools. And a lot of it for her is about that, you know, nowadays uh, girls are expected to have this level of perfection. You're meant to look good, you're meant to sound good, you're meant to be good, you're meant to dress this, all of these things behave a certain way. And this is just unattainable. It's unrealistic. It's not how um, it works. It's also not realistic. Like, we're not... Oh, no, completely. And I think she despairs that this is the narrative that we get fed, and we do. But... The kind of idea that she talks about a lot and about this trip is that it was it's okay not to be perfect and it's okay for your life to be a bit messy and to not know what direction you're going in and have to fight your way to wherever you want to go. But it's about not giving up and not listening to people when they say that you can't do it because you're a woman. It's very much about that that success itself can be messy and ugly and hard work. It's all those things that we said this movie is about people telling women how to be women this is what she's coming out to say that this is about and this trip is about her showing that this is a different way that is just as valid to be a woman she can have these dreams she can be they're thrilled that we don't have to shower or change our clothes for 10 days this is awesome and i was like, you know what part of me deeply associates with that she was i don't have to do my hair and i was i don't brush my hair for weeks at a time yeah i i, I love the idea of are going to these schools now and telling them these stories. And that's how we got lucky enough to to get these dots connected, to get her seen by him. Yeah. And that's a terrible way to phrase it, which I realised as it came mm-hmm. out of my mouth, but to get her story in front of someone who could tell it. Yes. And was able to recognise the validity of telling the story, mm-hmm. which is something that doesn't always happen because people often inherently uh, devalue the story itself or the, the kind of stories this. Yes, and while I think it's a little bit... Feminism looks... Her version, obviously, is going to look different from 100%. anyone else's. And I think the fact that uh, it's a little bit... It's not, still neat and tidy. Yes. And the fact that she was able to... It happened by chance that she was speaking at his daughter's school and... I do find it a little bit funny, though, because it's, he told the story because it was so compelling, but... I don't think he himself has fully grasped what type of story it is. Yes. And I was that's really interesting to me as someone who uh, clearly she was there speaking to your daughter to tell her this type of thing can happen for you if you persevere and all of that things. And he was just, so this is a really great feel-good story about yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, you're, and I think it's very point. much, he. I think he gets the point in the idea of the importance of what she did and all that. But I, he, I think... There is nuances, which is more evident in a lot of the interviews, where you're, okay, you don't necessarily grasp the broader scope of what these messaging is. And I think he created a great film. I don't think that it necessarily comes across that he doesn't fully get it. No, completely. It's more when he answers in interviews that I'm, I think you just think this is a great story. You're not fully grasping what this means for Which can come from the fact that, you know, he's a white dude who doesn't necessarily 
look at things in this way, which is neither here nor there. It is a, a fact of the, the matter. But you're right. There is there is particularly in interviews some kind of gaps there in the way that it has been looked at. Mentioned at the start of this, <laughs> and you're laughing because I'm laughing because. Let's talk about the swimsuits. This, so (laughs) I'm laughing because how do you explain this? So we have these, we have these women. We have these brilliant, incredible women who have sailed these boats, who have one leg. They've won two legs. They've won two legs at this point. They're they're racing into somewhere in South America, I wanted to say. Fort Lauderdale, they're coming in. Oh, that's right. Sorry, they're coming into Fort Lauderdale. They come up from Uruguay or somewhere. They had a crack in the mast, Mm -hmm. in the hull of the boat, and... They lost 16 hours, 17 hours, and that put them behind. They had been in the lead. They lost all this time. They weren't going to win the race, and they were just devastated. They were super demoralized. They were, as you are. We are, we can't do anything, yada, yada. And on these boats, they carry one set of clean clothes. And when you go into port, that's, you put the clean clothes on as you go in so that when the media comes and photographs you, you don't look a heathen, basically. (laughs) And Tracy Edwards looks at, her crew and as we could put our clean clothes on or we could put our swimsuits on that we have and the women are up for it they think it's hilarious they're sure like they're shaving their legs they're having a laugh they are all (laughs) willing participants in this activity it's just that and to quote them afterwards we were all up for a bit of fun in hindsight which is always 2020, we didn't really think about, think this through enough with the kind of media savvy hat on. Old Bob Fisher at The Guardian probably. Oh, (laughs) look, the photo of them, and to be fair, it's a great photo. It's an incredibly dynamic what kind of photo. But the photo of them sailing into Fort Lauderdale, crewing the boat in some very late 80s high-cut swimsuits. And these are professional athletes. But they're crewing this boat. They're coming in and there's these photos taken and it is the most syndicated photo of that sports photo of 1990. Not them winning the race, not them winning the leg, not them leaving the harbour, not them winning a second leg. Them sailing into Fort Lauderdale, not first... I think third, maybe they came in in swimsuits, and I'm sure there were Baywatch comparisons and everything made. Oh, some there. of the headlines—they show oh. you. There's actually a scene where they flash up their headlines. They won some of the papers, and it was like British babes, yada yada. We didn't get headlines from anything else, but we sail in in a swimsuit, and here we are. Obvi. And they—you could see that they were. We didn't think this through. We thought it was a laugh, and then we realized what we had just put ourselves into. We had viewed it in a light-hearted, comical fashion, but we were—we can distract them from how things didn't go. Mm-hmm. And we have just created a whole other problem. Were, In hindsight, not our best move. Hindsight, not the greatest thing. And so Fort Lauderdale is nearly the end of the race. The last kind of jaunt is you go straight from Fort Lauderdale back across the ocean to Southampton. And because you, you had originally come from Southampton, I think you came to Uruguay, and then down Ooh, around so, through yeah. the Southern Ocean, which was, if, if you want to see some terrifying footage there is some incredible footage in this of them sailing in a very aggressive line from wherever they were in south america uruguay to to perth and basically that line if you look at the globe goes pretty much alongside antarctica yeah and so they're sailing past icebergs it's someone's job to be harnessed to the front of the boat in minus 20 to keep an eye out for icebergs to, as they said, be the first person to be the sacrificial lamb when they hit it. And I think at that point in the film, it created a lot of really good tension because obviously I didn't know. I assumed that they didn't win, but you don't know at that point whether they're going to win any legs or anything. And all of the male teams had been anyway it's too dangerous to go that close to antarctica so she's like let's go here. and she was so we're going as south as we can and i was oh no <laughs> something's gonna happen but it didn't they made it through and then they won that leg and by their, a lot their gamble it paid off for them yeah. so. so they go from this last leg in south america and mm-hmm. they come back over to the uk and 
this is my favourite moment of the movie because I am, as you know, a, like, sentimental sucker. I was about to be, even though you started crying. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Literally, in the movie, I was like, this is the moment where I started crying. And when we rewatched it recently, I realised that was the part I started crying. Oh, my eyes are watering. Like, oh. So this great scene. They're coming into the harbour and this boat comes out to meet them and they think they're meeting someone else. And they turn around and they start sailing with them. And like, what? And then another boat shows up. Mm-hmm. And another boat. And they're still like, aren't they like, they must be waiting for someone else. And then they're like, no, they're, they're not. Yeah. They're, they're, and and this footage us. is, yeah. there's a hundred boats. There's a boat sailing alongside them, throwing flowers on them, which was just <laughs> in a very cute, yeah. wonderful kind and then of way. there was a boat full of journalists and the media. The boat with the media <laughs> is just photographers as far yeah. as you can see. There's a boat with their family on mm-hmm. it. And... These women are so devastated that they're coming in second. They haven't won. They thought they were going to win, and they haven't. And they're demoralized by this. Ahead of them, I think the the French or the Belgium, the team, Belgium team that was out front that is, was stuck on the sandbar, yeah. and they were no. they're like, we won, and we pulled into the harbor, and, and there's nowhere. thousands of people there, and no one cared. <laughs> and the guy was very he was very that's just how it, he got it. They just. It was very. It was a very beautiful kind of moment to encapsulate loop back around mm. that kind of where they had started and to what it had now become nine months later. A very intense, less intense than the Southern Ocean, or just intense in a different way. Emotionally intense, in- and I think too that I and I'm sure this was not on people's minds at the time, but I think that they're boat was the first British boat to win a leg when they went. In 17 years. There was that on its own, but the fact that they first made First all-female, first yeah. British in ages. The fact that they made it all the way home, essentially, it was a great... The end of it as they, they're coming in has a few really great kind of lines, because it's the women talking about how they felt as they were coming back in, and that kind of realisation that the people who were there to see them did not care that they had not won, Mm -hmm. that this there was a bigger picture than winning, that they had done so much more than what they had set out to do. Yes, if they had won, could it maybe have done more? Sure, but what they actually were able to do was just so much more encompassing than that. And it was still more than anyone else had been able to do at that point kind of thing. And I think one of the ladies said there was a bigger picture than winning. And I think... And maybe they all had started to understand that before, but that when you see all those boats, that was probably one of the moments where yeah. they were like, oh shit, this is and bigger than us. Some of the great lines about it are actually from the women in recent years. So they have 25, 30 years of uh, reflection on what it actually meant and what it became and are able to also you know, know that they appreciated it more at that moment, but how that appreciation has changed. And one of my favorite lines is, was, if you think you believe in everything that people tell you you can't do, what would humankind have achieved? If you listen to everybody, mm-hmm. we only do these things when someone tells us we can't because we believe we can. That's how this works. We want to prove, you know, they're wrong. And it was the, the, the guy who did beat them, the skipper of the French boat has, or the Belgian boat. I think he is French maybe and it's Belgium. I don't know. I kept calling them the wrong things. I know the different countries. I am well aware of that. But he talked about, I think it was, this was the first step Tracy made to show the world that he does say girls could do a fantastic job and it was an open door to girls that came after. And I the fact that Maybe he didn't always view her as an equal in that, but in that moment, he very much respected her mm-hmm. as a skipper and a competitor. Yeah. And knew what she did was bigger than him, too. Mm-hmm. He was very chill. Yeah, he was very, he was very, he was very European. And yeah. we got stuck on a sandbar. So. No, it was very, one of the notes you did make about the kind of ending of the movie and as they're coming back in has to do with kind of Tracy's thought process. And it highlights something. That's really maybe not evident in women's documentaries or movies necessarily because it's maybe not something that's uh, discussed as much, but it's a massive part of everyday life for women, mm-hmm. is that, that <laughs> Tracy Edwards has a ridiculous case of imposter syndrome here. Yeah. Like, she's in this boat, she's skipping it around the world, she's coming in second, everyone's there, everything's there, and she's, I don't deserve to be here, I don't I belong do here, I didn't we do didn't, enough, and you're yeah. like... What else could I have done? Like, I made this mistake down south, we could have won, and I think even leading up to like the boat cracked in half man (laughs) even before they set sail she was already under that Mm. of what if i let all these women down and and these women what 
like they were it and again it's hard to watch because you see i think every woman who watched it will see uh, a thread of something that they can associate with in that moment but again i know we just watched battle of the sexes but billy jean king understanding that she had to win because if she lost it wasn't just her that was losing it would set women's tennis back and i think in this case Tracy knew, or she thought anyway, if they didn't have a good result or didn't win, that they would just... It would be not her, it would be womankind They'd just be, as like, refused Completely. from entering this. You know, it would, it would, I guess, confirm everyone's beliefs. Yeah, and that was That they were fear. a tin full of tarts. Yes. <laughs> I still haven't thought of a good alliteration for what you would call a boat full of dudes. A Oh, I can come up with a few, but we won't come. I was like, nope. Um, Explicit rating on this podcast. I was, oh, trying to not get that tag. Um, so that's start to finish. That's the narrative of the story. And I really, the part that, at least in this, we assume either everyone has seen what we're talking about or it's a documentary. They can Wikipedia the story, so it's not really yeah. ruining anything for them. It happened 30 it years is, ago. It is available to rent on YouTube, Google Movies, yes. or if you have Amazon Prime on with the Stars package, Stars I think, channel. Yep. You can watch it there as well. There's there's two more, one more thing I want to touch on that I just loved in this before I want to talk about a few things that maybe we didn't love. I loved how she talked about, or she mentioned it in passing, I think, in this, but there was a couple of interviews about uh, it afterwards, and it does touch into something we didn't love that we would have loved if there was more information about the women's different roles. Mm -hmm. Because I know what someone who is a sail trimmer is, but... You don't. They're a person who trims sails. Do you know what that means? No. Okay. <laughs> and that's the thing. I kind I know what that means, but they don't explain it for the the person who doesn't. It's just a it's a line. And they talk a lot, or, or she talked about this about understanding how women used their power in a physical sense, and that they had to do it differently to the men, and so they redesigned the boat. They redesigned the deck to work with the different positions and the points of power they had with their build versus a male build. They redesigned the interior to better accommodate things and ways that they would do things. And another problem they they did note was that they had modeled themselves after a traditional male crew. And that is when they hit problems uh, with uh, the navigator i'm skipper yeah Yeah. first mate the first mate the lady who uh was uh, removed from the crew before they left who was an incredibly experienced sailor um they were talking about women may not work as well in this particular hierarchy so they changed it they spread it out as a more equitable thing more people doing this greater mixed together responsibility and that made it easier for them so really that idea of them being willing to be we have to do it differently because we aren't you We can't take those things. And I think it was just the understanding that literally everything about what they were doing was different to what all of the other teams had Mm -hmm. in terms of sponsors, money, a boat, anything that their approach had to be exactly the opposite to whatever. They recognized that different doesn't mean better or worse. It just means Different. different. And ignoring that is only a detriment to them, I would say. So what didn't you love? about this movie because i always love everything so i'm the wrong person to ask i tend to agree with you but i'm everything is sunshine and roses there is not i thought it was a pretty very strong film i thought it was one of the strongest sports ones i've seen in recent years it was very good particularly in women's sport yes the all the found footage there was a lot going on of when they were asked the questions oh do you guys get along and all of those things and them being like why wouldn't we but There was a lot of found footage from on the film because obviously there are cameras on the boat, but the doc didn't really go into those during their voyages. It just showed very briefly. It didn't show a lot of the interrelation between the sailors. Yeah, so it would have been great. The doc was only, it was an hour and 37 minutes. So even an extra five minutes, just really They had the the space to do it. Affirming that team dynamic kind of thing and also just how close they were because everyone keeps saying they were so close at the end and these great relationships and I'm okay, but I didn't know who half of the people on the boat were because it was never really explained. You saw them you saw their name and, and their like, title, oh. and then you're like, okay. And then the I think she was German, the blonde lady at the end. I was like, cool, I didn't see you until yeah. an hour and a half in. Okay. And then I would have liked to see a greater utilization of some of the footage to highlight their 
mental, what they yep. had to do to prepare to go 100%. into that because it focused on Tracy's struggles, but didn't really. It didn't have a context to, yeah. you know, Tracy couldn't have sailed this boat herself. It didn't necessarily, and obviously it is her story, mm-hmm. but there is some space for depth. I think that to highlight how those things intermixed. And even, again, the other women and how they played into her story as well on their own. And then it also ended really abruptly. Yes, it did. It was just, and here's your award. Okay, credits. And I was like, cool, so what's happening now? Yeah. Yeah, What happened then? What happened? Did they go on a tour? Are they famous now? What's going on? What they don't tell you. And there's no... This Dawn came back four years or five Mm -hmm. at the next one and skip it a boat. What they don't say is that Tracy doesn't handle suddenly having been torn away from these people she spent three or four years with and gets married, gets divorced, becomes an alcoholic, goes bankrupt, gets everything back together, becomes a speaker. This whole thing that happens afterwards that is just, okay, Tracy did these things and you know that. Cool. We heard about them because... when we went, when she, when she we was very her, candid. She was very candid. Someone was like, so what did you do after this? And she just goes, well, I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Honest, but, oh, but that's, I think that, that could have added to it. Mm-hmm. It is a whole nother narrative in itself, but I think there is a way to responsibly fold some of that in. Totally. A tidy little kind of end credit scene would have been great just to be, here's Tracy today on yeah. blah 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 and she rescued her boat that was about to yeah. be junked or yeah. that the kind of thing. maiden, someone called her maybe a year or two prior to this starting to be, or about the time this was starting to be made, to be hey maiden is in a scrapyard in the Seychelles and that was more me being, is that how I say it? And they're going to, they're going to scuttle it. It's going to be pulled apart and so she's like this can't happen so tracy goes and finds and fundraises on a camp go fund me thousands and hundreds and thousands of dollars and gets this boat and it's now a multi-million dollar girls education program with a boat that sails around the world sharing the message called the maiden project which is the boat yeah and you know it's pretty awesome her daughter is a part of it all of these things it's what she has done Afterwards, and particularly the part where she did this and then everything fell apart and then she's come back to this, that in itself is an amazing journey. And I do know that when they were finishing this documentary, that some of that stuff hadn't quite happened because when we did uh, see it, she had come from the launch the previous day. So it was still relatively new, but they did. A lot of that wasn't addressed in a way that it Mm -hmm. could be. That would have, I think, enhanced the narrative. I think it would have just, this again is one of those ones where it felt they were trying to wrap it up in a really neat bow as often is irritating to me and then not sharing i love the bow i but the bow isn't realistic in that moment it was if i want realism i'll watch the news this is a documentary though so it's real is what because you want to know what happened to these people after that did this amazing thing that's one thing that because you you see them and they have interviews with them in the real day but you don't really get in context of what they're doing because they're talking about about their past we get those end credit scenes of was now blah 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 continue the narrative a league of their own had them right yeah in hollywood films so i would have to see that i think to wrap it all up in a bow to steal your words i hate it i know there is a, there's a great quote or a great kind of thing from um, an article about this. This documentary reminded her that they did an amazing thing. Like, I'm not good at taking these compliments or being praised for these things. She's like, my daughter had said to her, when someone comes to thank you for being amazing, just say thank you so much. I'm proud of what we did. And that was what the film allowed her and them as a group 30 years later to see that what they had done was really amazing and that maybe sometimes they forgot how incredible it was that they had done it Mm -hmm. because the story had gotten lost in the sands of time and it was getting that kind of re-attention, rebirth that it deserved. I think, too, it's hard when even if you do something incredible that oftentimes... 
because you did it, you're just like, oh, I did it. You're like, well, you this don't is... feel it was a yeah. big deal, but you got through it, so it couldn't have been that difficult. And then you're that like, happens oh, at all scales, but you're 100%. still just like, I don't know how to handle and then you this. Just give awkward thumbs up. Oh, <laughs> I am the yeah. compliments. Are you laughing at me because that's what I do? Because <laughs> I I'm really bad at accepting compliments. I don't know what to do, and I also don't know what to do with my hands, and it just ends up with awkward thumbs up. On that note, which we have gone dramatically over our planned time. We're just going to have to learn to talk fast or have less opinions, which is not going to happen on either front. You can't talk faster than you are. Yeah, true. That's that's fair. No one will understand me. I was going to say, because World Juniors is happening now, our next topic is Hello Destroyer. So not as lighthearted. I will just yes, give you fair so warning. Far from not as lighthearted. <laughs> to anyone who um, has seen it already. If you are ready to be emotionally traumatized, but also really thought-provoked in a way. Yeah. This is a great movie for you if you are willing to look at the game of hockey. Youth culture in, in general kind yeah. of thing. It's a bit heavy, but we're going to watch that repeatedly between now and then. For this edition of the podcast, mm-hmm. I am Saski. I'm Maria. And we will talk to you soon. Hasta luego.